Welcome to Fantasy Football Today Dynasty. I am your host, Heath Cummings, here with Dave Richard. Dave, you were a part of the show from the very beginning. It feels like, you know, I talk to you like 17 times a week. But here, it's been forever since I've talked to you. Thank you for being here today. And thank you for understanding why it's a little hard for me to come on during the the regular season. And I've seen who you've had on all year long, and I've listened, and it's been amazing. A tremendous first year for this uh, for this dynasty podcast, which we started talking about. Wait, did we start talking about it at about this time last year? I think we did. I I definitely had sent uh, texts to you and or Thomas in the month of January or February because I think we started it in March last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the first dozen episodes were just in the FFT stream. And uh, it's, I tell you what, we've got big plans for 2024. There are going to be more episodes. There are going to be more guests. We're going to do more fun stuff. There might be a new league. There's all kinds of exciting stuff. So you should absolutely go subscribe. You should go rate and review. You should do whatever you can to be a part of this show. And tell your friends who play Dynasty but aren't in your Dynasty <laughs> to be a part of this show. And everybody has friends that are like this. And... uh I, I completely I, I have I've fallen more and more in love with uh, with the idea, the concept of dynasty fantasy leagues. But for whatever reason, Heath, I'm not going to let myself get in more than one dynasty league at a time. Well, so that's the one that's that I'm in now is the one that I'm staying in. That's not but, entirely true. You did win another dynasty league. I did, but it's you are in There's no there's no in-season roster management. It's yes. just you draft and then you cross your fingers. And, that, and I, that's, I get that that's a thing and people love best ball, yeah. but I, I'm not gonna count that. Well, I, I'm going to count it, Dave, because you were the champion of the Razball Superflex Best Ball Dynasty League. Yes, that's a mouthful. I've said it a lot on this show because I was the champion of year one. I was the champion in year two. You are now the champion in year three. There are two CBS fantasy analysts in this league, and we have won 100% of the champions championships. Right. But now I'm chasing you to try and tie it up two and two. Well, I, I believe was that, that was a league you drafted Puka Nakua and I maybe maybe, yeah. uh, maybe Tank Dell as well. I got Tank Dell in that league. So you that, got Tank Dell. I think I have Keaton Mitchell. In the, I had Keaton Mitchell in every league. So I that one, I believe I had him. Having Christian McCaffrey and Raheem Mostert didn't hurt either. So today's show is going to be a bit of a year in review. We're going to talk about the players who rose the most in my dynasty ranking since January of last year. Dave also sent in a couple of names that he was thinking of as potential risers, and we're going to talk about them. Some of them he's exactly right. Some of them didn't really move up, and we'll kind of talk about why. Uh, We're also going to give you a few low-rostered stashes. If you can still add guys here in Week 18 or through the Fantasy Playoffs, some guys that are rostered in, I think all of them, less than 5% of CBS leagues that I'd just like to carry until that rookie draft. We're going to have to make some hard choices in March and April and May when the rookie draft gets here and it's time to drop players. But for now, here's we'll have some guys for you that you can hold until then, and then maybe they'll increase in value. Who knows? But... We're going to start, as we always do, with three questions for our guests. Three questions for Dave Richard. And, and this one, first one is Dave's request that he wanted to talk about. So, Dave, it's it's bad beat season. T- tell us about your terrible, no good, very bad luck in our YOLO Dynasty League that Jamie Eisenberg just won, I believe, for the third time. I lost in the championship for the third time. 
thing. You you didn't quite get there. I didn't quite get there, but I tried to get there. And so this is a story about going for it in Dynasty. And uh, the results are obviously going to tell you, oh, I should never go for it. I should never give up the the future first-round draft pick and maybe the best receiver in the National Football League. But here's the story. (laughs) Let's see what we can learn from this. So it's week six. Mm -hmm. I'm four and two. But my team's kind of old. And I realized that my window for winning this league, which I won last year, let's make it clear. This I'm not some sucker in this league. I right. won it uh, last year. I, I I wanted to make a run, and I I started to go to people in the league who were tanking, asking, you know, is there anybody available? And out of nowhere comes a trade offer from Will Brinson, and Will I thought was getting out of it and was was tanking too, especially when he made this offer. He offered me CD Lamb, or I'm sorry, I would offer I would have to give him CD Lamb, Zay Flowers, and my first in 2024 in exchange for Mike Evans, Cooper Cup, and Alvin Kamara. It is it a win now trade to the nth degree. There's no question about it. The best player in the deal also would be going to Will. I turned it down in week six. I get to week seven. And I'm I'm kind of following along. I get crushed by Chris Towers. So now I'm four and three. And I, I look over at Will's team that week, and Alvin Kamara went off. And uh and Mike Evans went off. And Cooper Cup didn't, but he had a couple of huge games before then. And I started thinking to myself, okay, maybe if I change the offer that he made just a little bit, maybe he'll make the deal with me. And I can get those guys and I can make a run. But before I even made the offer, I looked at the rest of my schedule. I noted who I was going to play in which week. That included Jamie on the schedule, Marone Berkson, our producer was on the schedule. Those those teams had guys on by the week that I would play them that made me feel like I would have an advantage over the trade. And it just so happened that if I made the trade with Brinson in week seven, I played him in week eight. So I'd be able to benefit from this trade. And let me also make the point, Heath, that C.D. Lamb going into his week seven bye was not lighting the world on fire. He was right. doing well. There was no question that he was a stud receiver, but he wasn't lighting the world on fire. So I, I countered Brinson's offer, taking out Zay Flowers. I put in Josh Downs. And I thought to myself, there's no way he's going to accept this. Mm-hmm. He's going to haggle back with Zay Flowers. I didn't want to give up Zay Flowers. He's not going to accept this trade. He accepted the trade. Yeah, I was happy. I was happy, Heath, because now my my lineup was loaded. I, it had Joe Burrow at quarterback. We all know what happened there. Uh, Camaro was probably my top running back, but I had Tony Pollard. I had David Montgomery. Now, now my wide receivers were Cup, Evans, uh, McLaurin, Flowers, DeAndre Hopkins. I had options at wide receiver. Kittle at tight end. It's a double flex league. Keen Mitchell was on my bench. He was starting to get hot. After the trade, I lost to Brinson by 10 points the week mm. after that. I think C.D. Lamb scored 100 points in that game. I think yeah, it was his best game of the year. It was crazy. So, obviously, the Cowboys came out of the bye week saying, we're only going to throw it to C.D. Lamb. A uh, week after that, I took on Jamie. Joey Bosa had the game of his career. I lost by 3.4 points to Jamie Eisberg. So, now I'm 4-5, and five, and I'm supposed to be going for it. Trade deadline hasn't finished yet. I thought about selling and just saying, all right, screw it. Maybe I'll yeah. get a couple of ones from the teams that are going for it, but I didn't even really. But you made the playoffs. Fast forward to the playoffs. We're fast forwarding to the playoffs. It's the first round. I go into the playoffs, by the way, on a four-game win streak, five-game win streak, excuse me, and I run into Nick Costas, who just had a monster team, 
go off that week. James Cook, Jared Goff, Jalen Waddle all had monster games. Right. Camaro was just okay. Evans was just okay. Cup had a monster game. But now here I sit with an old roster and no first round pick and no CD Lamb. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think about the trade a lot. And would I do it again? If I hadn't have made the trade, I still would have made the playoffs, but I would have been bounced in the first round. I would have had no hope. And I would have this middling first round pick. And I still would have had CD Lamb. But my roster and Josh will have some serious holes for for the future. Um, but now I feel like the trade might buy me one more year to be a contender in this. Just league. keep we'll pushing. See what happens? Never make another first round pick. I, I do remember, and I, I felt bad the day that you made that trade because you had you had texted me like a week beforehand uh-huh. and said, "Hey, I'm really appreciating the, having the trade the, chart there to just kind of check chart, yes. check your values against mine." As I'm, I'm looking at trades, and I thought, okay, that's yeah, thanks for saying that. That was nice of you, Dave. You always say nice things, and I don't ever accuse you of being sarcastic when you do. Um, <laughs> but, but I remember when when the trade went through, and I think the first thing I said to you was, "Well, you didn't check my trade chart on that one, did you?" No, but I, 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 it was both trades according to your trade chart were in Will's favor, but that yeah. the second trade taking flowers was out closer. Downs, made it a little more manageable. And I had visions of winning the league. Right. I thought that this trade would make me the league winner. The, the the two things that really happened that cost me, one of them had nothing to do with the trade. It was Joe Burrow going down. When he hurt his hand mm-hmm. or his wrist, whatever it was, that was it. And I got lucky to get Joe Flacco on my team and, and that Joe Flacco ended up turning into something. He might have been better than Joe Burrow would have been anyway. Yeah, so he was a lot better than Joe Burrow this season. And then the other part was not getting huge. No, I got like one or two good games out of Cooper Cup. It wasn't. I I didn't get the big bounce back from Cup that I was hoping to get. We've given Dave a little space for his uh, his YOLO therapy here. I think there's like that's just the thing. I I believe in pushing all in when you're. I I more want to do it though when I think I have a really strong shot at a buy. Um, I don't want to push all in and then have to win three games in a row. And in this particular league, there's only one team that gets a bye. Like if I'm going to push all in, I'd like to know I'm in the semifinals. The worst thing I'm giving up is like pick 11 or 12, maybe 13 or 14. This is a 14-team league. So I'm giving up one of the last four picks. I've only got to win two games in a row to win a title because and this is a, the dirty little secret that we don't like to talk about too much around here. But when you get to the fantasy playoffs, variance and luck plays an enormous role. Massive. An enormous role. In I will say, in our YOLO Dynasty League, Jamie beat me. He had the best team in the league. He was the, the rightful winner. That doesn't happen very often. Thomas Schaefer absolutely dominated our Baked Burger Dynasty League. Start to finish. The, the people's champ. And then he got steamrolled in the t- in the fantasy I mean, championship his starting quarterback only played i think half the game it was it was it was a real disaster for thomas um i feel like that happens in every league where there's right. a dominant team that happened in my keeper league there my best friend's team went 13 and 1 yeah. and lost to me in the semifinals i didn't go 13 and 1 this year dave so we do have a, two more questions for you here let's what did you learn or what changed from an NFL perspective in 2023, is there anything from this season that you're definitely taking away and saying, well, that's different now about the NFL? Uh, I feel like a lot of the things that happened this year were things that 
I saw coming, not necessarily like specific player performances, mm-hmm. but just like how teams, if, if you know how, like if you've got a stud running back, you're going to roll with that stud running back. And if you don't have that stud running back, I'm talking about NFL teams, not fantasy. If you don't have that, you know, Christian McCaffrey type, you're using multiple players. We started to see teams do that more with their passing game, where if they didn't have that alpha wide receiver one, they spread the ball around. And there were some wide receiver ones that were victim to teams spreading the ball around. Uh, I think the reason why there were so many quarterback injuries was because there were so many terrible offensive lines. And I wonder if that's something that we've got to think about moving forward is just the, the ability of a team to have a good offensive line, a good starting five, and good depth behind it. I think that's been the secret to the Lions. I thought it was the secret to Philadelphia earlier this year. That offensive line this year got older and right. went through a few changes. And so I I, I kind of feel like that's a low-key secret of you know how you go about determining which teams might be really good for the long haul. And just one more to that point, the Rams offensive line, we thought it would be a joke this year. Right. They ended up being great. Right. And even last week, they were without their starting left tackle and Stafford was running around. It felt like a little bit more. The pressure rate was low for the Giants, but Stafford didn't have the game that we thought he was going to have against the Giants. And so I think that that offensive line play, that's something that we need to think about a little bit more, be a little bit more prepared for, for 2024. And I would say if there's one thing just from from a a league-wide perspective, I think that we have to kind of keep an eye on is that two-year span where we had three or four quarterbacks scoring 30 fantasy points and the league was just going banana with points. And then last year it kind of looked like, oh, wait, was that just a down year for offenses or no? No, no. The defense is caught up. Now the offenses will come up with something else. And have like it's just the way this league has always worked. And there was some thought in 2019, 2020, 2021, right in that range, that, man, the rules have just changed so much. And these young quarterbacks are so good. And there's not anything defenses can do. Now defenses have found some things to do and, and really kind of made up some ground this year. For, let's look at it from a fantasy football perspective. Is there sure. anything that you think changed in 2023 that you're really going to carry over into next year? Is there something about fantasy football that you learned this year? Well, I'm definitely going to continue to veer away from being heavy on running backs in the early rounds. I just, I, you look at who, who were the top three running backs in fantasy this year? McCaffrey was up there and he was obviously an early round pick, but Kyron Williams and Raheem mm-hmm. Mostert were amazing. I think it was the greatest year for zero RB ever. Mostert was on our radar. Kyron Williams really wasn't, though. Like he was kind of that late round pick in deeper leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know I had him ranked as a top one hundred and fifty player. I wish I had him ranked as a top one hundred. Or I'm shoot, I wish I had him fifth right. overall. You know that would have been amazing. Um, so uh, we we kind of learned that lesson. Um, I feel like the more we can trust the coaches the better we'll feel about our fantasy players. You think about Puka Nakua and Kyron Williams. Well, who's their head coach? Who's the one designing their offense? That's true, but I was going to make a McVay point. Like This has happened with so many players, and sometimes it's a six-week stretch, and sometimes it's a full season, but it's just something different almost every year. I can trust him to produce something really good. I like Kyron Williams was not his starting running back week one. No, but he he turned to him because he learned to trust him. Wait, he wasn't his starting running. It was. It I was, think Cam Akers had twenty two carries week one for the Rams. 
Now you're going to make me look this up, dude. I believe he had like 19 yards on those 22 carries. Right. And then so maybe cut. they realized immediately after week one, they were right. like, oh, this guy's <laughs> Let's there go. Were no, I don't think there were very many tea leaves to read on that situation going in. Uh, yeah. Cam Akers, 22 carries, 29 yards, one touchdown. Kyron Williams, 15 carries, 52 yards, two touchdowns. They absolutely throttled the Seattle Seahawks. And then you go to week two. And uh, and the Rams, where were the Rams in week two? I'm looking at this. I think week two, they, they, they'd they already cut Cam Akers by then, right? I don't think that, I think they wish that they had cut Cam Akers by then. Why am I not seeing them? And we, here they are. They played the 49ers. They lost 30 to 23. Uh, yeah, Cam Akers didn't even get a carry. Kyron Williams was their guy. So you yeah. knew by week two, that was it. It was over. Uh, and Kyron Williams was the, the man who I, th- I thought he got better as the season went on. Uh, I didn't love him coming out of Notre Dame, and I didn't think he looked that great early on in the year, and he ended up being amazing by the time the year's over. I think Kyron Williams is another example of opportunity, meaning more for fantasy than talent. He's going to be a hard guy to rank going into next year. That's that's enough about 2023. Hopefully the Rams do us a solid and they they draft somebody that's – you know, clearly going to take over that backfield and make us feel good. Not do what the Seahawks did and go and get Charbonnet and well, they might just go into the year with Ronnie Rivers as their backup. Maybe, but that'd, that'd be okay too. Um, I, I think they actually have draft picks this year. They might be able to find a running back that they like. I think they might have one. Let's take a short break and then we'll get into the biggest risers of 2023. Okay, Dave. So I I framed this as the biggest risers. This could have easily been the guys I was most wrong about back in January of 2023 because they have moved the most. I will say that the interesting thing, I I didn't have a hard time finding quarterbacks for this list. I certainly didn't have a hard time finding running backs for this list. I could have listed 20 running backs that had moved a bunch in my dynasty rankings over the last year. At wide receiver and tight end, it was much, much flatter, much steadier, not near as much movement. I don't know if that says more about the position or if I just had a better beat on those guys, but there are some wild changes at the quarterback position in my rankings. And if you want to talk about guys I was wrong about, let's just Brock Purdy. Most of us were. My QB 29 at the beginning of 2023 for Dynasty Leagues, I thought even if he started this year, he probably wasn't special. He was probably just a guy. Maybe I mean, he could be as good as Jimmy Garoppolo was. He has been outstanding. And now I think he's moved himself into that position where it's pretty tough to rank him. I've got him at QB 11 right now as we enter 2024. But I want to just tell you the other quarterbacks listed directly behind him. I'll give you three of them. The fourth we'll talk about in just a minute. Another one of my biggest risers. Brock Purdy, Tua Tungavailoa. Dak Prescott, Trevor Lawrence. Okay. Well, let's start with Brock Purdy. And let's let's remember what his situation was back in August. He was coming off of the UCL injury. Trey Lance was still on the team. There was still a chance that Lance could take over that job at some point. We didn't think it was going to be at the beginning of the year. But if Brock Purdy fell back to, you know, earth as a what a you know the last pick in the draft would look like. Right. Then it would make all the sense in the world that you would have him ranked so low. You were nervous about Brock Purdy's long-term future. And now it's clear as day that Brock Purdy has a long-term future, but I think it's tied to Kyle Shanahan and I think it's tied to the 49ers having a dynamic passing game. And I think that they need to continue to have weapons around him. Not saying that Brock Purdy 
can't elevate players, but saying that Brock Purdy, for what he does in this offense, right. he's more than a game manager because he does he has a lot of these little nuances nuances to his game that I think is, is just outstanding. Like I, I love the way that he comes out of play action and he snaps his body around and the way that he makes his progressions and he gets his body, he's, his feet get set. Um, I think he's accurate. I think he's a, I think he's a capable quarterback who's worthy of being a top 12 type guy. So I think you've got him ranked in just about the right spot. And as long as Kyle Shanahan's there and as long as the 49ers have some explosive players in their offense and as long as they have a good offensive line heat, I think we okay. can see a lot of years where Brock Purdy's averaging around 22 fantasy points per game, so, which is where he lived in 2023. So I think that you like the weapons coach thing is a good point, and it's something that everybody's going to talk about with Purdy. The guy I have one spot behind him, Tua, is that more or less true for him? Like you go drop Brock Purdy and Tua into the exact same team on different timelines with without. A, a San Francisco mastermind without the best weapons in the NFL. Which one of those guys do you have more confidence in? I think I have a little bit more confidence in Purdy. Yeah. And just, he's two years younger. In, in the situation that you just laid out, that scenario, I would say Purdy. First of all, he's a little younger than Tua. Doesn't have the injury track record of Tua. Seems to be through the UCL injury with flying colors. And yeah, both are both are in the uh, the similar type of offense where they're throwing to amazing receivers, and Tua should be there for a while. But I, I do wonder what happens if after this season and next season, if the Dolphins don't win with Tua, right? It, does 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 everything in Miami blow up? Tyreek Hill's thirty years old. What's his future look like? He's talked about retiring early. Um, I've I, I have a little, few more questions about Tua. Than I do Brock Purdy. So we're gonna we'll move on to a different quarterback event, and we're not gonna talk about fallers very much. This is a positive show. We've got Dave here, nice. but if I was doing a biggest fallers show, Trevor Lawrence, who I was lower on than consensus at last January, would still be on my biggest fallers list. He's a guy who we've not necessarily seen in that perfect situation. Although I was told going into this year that second year in Doug Peterson's offense with finally a number one wide receiver in Calvin Ridley, this was going to be the perfect situation for Trevor Lawrence. He's my QB 15 for dynasty. I, for I would flag him as a buy low in dynasty. So I'm still a believer in Trevor Lawrence. I think that he's, he's shown more than enough that he can be a usable top 12 type of long-term fantasy quarterback with upside to be even better and stronger if the Jaguars can continue to build around him. And Calvin Ridley's certainly older. Christian Kirk is certainly older. Evan Ingram is a name that we talked about just before the show started. He's going to turn 30 this year. Yeah. There, 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 there needs to be some additions there, but I still view Lawrence as a supremely talented quarterback. So if, if you're going to put him at 15, I'm curious at the 14 names ahead of him. And I would try and buy low on Trevor Lawrence and Dynasty if the manager in your league who has Trevor Lawrence agrees with Heath and they say, ah, this guy's not going to have it. I, I think he's got I think he's still very talented. But at some point, like we're entering year four next year. Mm -hmm. At some yeah. point, he has to be like really good, right? Like it can't just be that he was really good in Clemson or he had a good month here and he's had two good months he had a great month last year he had a really good month this year um but he finished the year around qb 18 i think per game oh man it might be even lower 
Right. And we, he, we know I, that he didn't average 20 points. That's a good barometer in six-point passing touchdown leagues as someone who did like not next, get the job done. If you were a believer in Trevor Lawrence, I'll phrase it this way. If you were a believer in Trevor Lawrence, next year is a, an enormous year. That's fair to say. And I'm not about to give up, you know, 101 for Trevor Lawrence. I don't even think I would do that in a dynasty super. So here's oh. here's the big the 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 big shocker. The the guy that I didn't mention that's in that range right behind Brock Purdy. That's my second biggest riser at quarterback, Jordan Love. Was QB 31. You remember last year in January, Aaron Rodgers was still on the Packers. I don't think Aaron Rodgers had even entered the darkness yet one year ago today. Um, but he was he was preparing to enter the darkness. And Jordan Love, who knew? Well, what, what a fantastic first year as a starter from him, specifically in terms of fantasy production. Like probably a little better in terms of fantasy production than, than real life play. But he's got a handful of young wide receivers, all super cheap and under contract. He's one year older than Trevor Lawrence. He was just better in his first year as a starter than we've seen Lawrence be. Am I crazy to have love one spot ahead of Trevor Lawrence in dynasty? I think it's really close and I don't think you're crazy for it, but you're also talking to a guy that fell in love with love when he was in his second to last season in college. So I, I see a lot of great, I saw a lot of great traits in love when he was in college and we're seeing it play out now. And he kind of had a roller coaster year where my biggest gripe with love was that he was late on his throws and that led to some turnovers. And then in the middle of the year, he was pretty bad. And then he's come out strong at the end of the year without that receiving core being at full strength and with his offensive line, not playing great. So there's, there's a real chance next year in green Bay, same coaching staff, same quarterback, same wide receivers, better offensive line, and TBD at running back. So there's a lot to really love about Jordan Love, who averaged three and a half more points per game in six-point-per-passing touchdown leagues than Trevor Lawrence did. So I don't think you're you're necessarily off the reservation there. I, I can't say that I disagree. I, I would have thought I was absolutely crazy if you had told me this a year ago. But he's uh, he, I do think that receiving core is super interesting and like trying to project if they're ever actually going to be healthy at the same time. How many games in a row has Jaden Reed left early with an injury? And he's been awesome it's when been he's been on the field. But yep. he, just over and over. And Christian Watson's had all kind of trouble staying healthy as well. So it, that will be a very interesting team and receiving core. I, I'm most interested to see, are they perfectly fine just heading into next season with those guys? Or are they I, looking to make an addition? They will be. But the other thing that I like about it is those guys went down. Bo Melton ended up being somebody mm-hmm. that helped them. And now is a potential Week 18 helper off the waiver wire. Malik Heath has had his moments. Dontavian Wicks was someone we were talking about in late December. So when you start to see a team produce wide receivers like that, where it almost doesn't matter who's in, that's a trait that they've got something special at quarterback. I I was going to say, for all the excuses that we've made for Trevor Lawrence and his weapons, the names you just rattled off that Jordan Love scored 22.5 fantasy points per game with, that's very impressive. We've got one more quarterback. We won't need to spend as much time on this guy, but Baker Mayfield last January – I mean, it didn't wasn't entirely because of what he did to DJ Moore, but I yeah, was right. completely given up on him. He was QB 41 in my dynasty rankings. He's all the way up to QB 21 next year. How confident are you that Baker Mayfield is a starting quarterback for the next couple of years, Dave? 
Uh, not confident for the next couple of years. He's going to be 29. And I feel like if, if he bottoms out in Tampa Bay next year, he could go back to bouncing around the league as a maybe starter backup quarterback. And then, you know, you're holding on to Andy Dalton or Jimmy Garoppolo, someone like that. Uh, I, I love what I saw from Baker Mayfield. I thought he played mostly well this season. Another team that got better than expected play from its offensive line. And from its running back, I think Rashad White kind of helping him out as a check down option, short area target. I think that helped. Chris Godwin stepping up late in the year. I think that really helped Baker Mayfield finish the season strong. We know that he had at least 20 fantasy points in each of his last four games. And then he had that. He, he He's kind of been streaky this year. Right. He had at least 20 in three of his first four games. He had 20 plus in three straight games in the middle of the season. And then he ended the season pretty strong. When can we see that consistency? When can he get to well, that next level? What would it take from Tampa? He he's not. I don't think like he, this is a QB. The two guys we were talking about before are are fighting at the bottom of the QB one rankings. Baker Mayfield's close to peaking at, at QB twenty one. Like this is a super flex only player. I think you can't okay. look at a guy who's playing with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and say what. What could he have around him that would make him a consistent QB one? If, if Mike Evans and Chris Godwin don't do it, I don't think anything's going to. But you mentioned a guy, and we're just going to jump straight to running back, Rashad White. Yes. Who really finished the season strong. 27 is where he was ranked at running back for me last January, which I actually feel pretty good about. I had him as a top 30 running back. He exploded. He is now RB11 for me. How confident are you in Rashad White? And did you see did he change enough about himself? Because he did make some changes this year in terms of just the way that he ran the football. Is this was this just a situation thing, or do we think he's just a good running back now? I think it's a situation thing. So I'm a little nervous about him. Uh, on the plus side, he's got plenty of tread on the tire. He'll be 25 entering next year. Averaged almost 16 PPR points per game this past year. But the Buccaneers are probably going to try and find somebody to help him with with the workload. And if it's somebody who's younger, fresher, faster, and more talented, then it could lead to Rashad White really taking a steep fall, which we've seen from running backs plenty of times through the years where they have a good year followed by a great year because they have a huge opportunity, and then somebody comes in that's better, and it's bye-bye Rashad White. So I, I would have this ranking in pencil if I were you. Well, that's a, the second one. I think all running back ranking should be in pencil, but it's it's really more about what do we expect from you in the preceding year than just about anything else. But another guy right there in the same age range as Rashad White, we already talked about Kyron Williams and the impact that he's had so far this season. He was my RB38 coming into this year in January of 2023. He's all the way up to RB9 for me. He'll be 24 at the start of next year. Now, David, it, it seems like you were more skeptical as well that Kyron Williams is even going to be a starting running back. Can he be as good as he was this year? And then you think the Rams are just going to replace him? Over 100 yards per game from scrimmage. No, I don't think the Rams are going to out and out replace him, but I do think they're going to restock at running back. And so I'd like to see what they do. And I'm sure that the year-end metrics for Kyron Williams – aren't going to be ugly. I think he really, like I said earlier, I thought he got better as the year went on. And I bet the metrics reflect that, um, you know, his rushing averages and, you know, all the fancy schmancy EPA stats right. that we like to give that make a running back look better. The thing that is especially encouraging is that he's young. He's only right. going to be in his third year in the league. He's going to be 24 years old. There is going to be an opportunity for Kyron Williams 
to have, if not the every down roll, but a big chunk of that offense if they so choose to move that way. And we'll see what they end up doing this offseason. This is a team, you know, when Cam Akers was drafted, was he a third-round pick? I think that's what he was. I thought he was a second. Second or third? Yeah. Day two pick either way. Right. Seems like they aren't really in the business of taking running backs that early, that often in L.A. So if if they do take a guy, it's probably going to be a day three running back. And we'll see what traits he has and what he can bring in that offense. But they've got to be pretty confident and happy with what Kyron Williams has given them this year. What, one of the suggestions that you gave me before you knew that I was basing this on on my dynasty rankings, but Isaiah Pacheco, who I think fits right in with the two guys we've just talked about. He was my RB28 in the offseason, so right behind Rashad White. He's still right behind Rashad White. I've got him at RB16. So we've got Kyron Williams, Rashad White, Isaiah Pacheco. Which one of the? How would you rank those three in dynasty? I kind of want to put... Pacheco first, you know, I just, I, I love the way that I I know the way he runs is very physical and he's a run to contact type of guy, but he's on the right team. And I I love what he was able to expand on this year, as far as role goes. And I think he could be a feature running back the same way that Kareem Hunt once was in Kansas city. And so I'd, I'd love to get a player like that on my dynasty team. I'd probably put Kyron right behind him. And then everybody else just falls after. You were right about Cam Akers, by the way. He was a second-round pick, 52nd overall, whereas Pacheco, a seventh-round pick, 251st overall. So I guess you can just find them anywhere, like Pete Prisco likes to say. Well, that's. I think that's the hardest thing with those three backs is how much does that draft day cost or what their cost is going to be this season. <laughs> How much does that make the team view them as replaceable or how much more likely does it make them that they are replaced? Um, Kyron Williams was taken in round five. Rashad White was a round three pick. Pacheco was round seven. They're a couple years into their career now. Maybe that doesn't matter all that much. I don't think it matters. Sometimes I think it doesn't matter once you get to like May OTAs after the draft. Well, I I think it matters. I remember reading reports about Puka Nakua being a standout at OTAs. At that point, the Rams did not care. Well, he's a fifth round pick or whatever he was. Let's let's take it easy on him. Uh, no, they, they ended up putting him right into their lineup. Very, Historically, very what we know at running back is that day three or UDFA running backs who are good as rookies are much more likely to be replaced in year two, like Damian Pierce just was, than guys who were picking on picked on day one or day two and are good as rookies. That's uh, So I think after year one, it definitely matters, and that's one of the reasons why people were lower on Pacheco coming into this year. It's one of the reasons why people told me I was too high on Damian Pierce coming into this year. They were right sure. about Damian Pierce. They were, wrong, they were wrong about Pacheco. One more running back, and I don't even know what to make of this guy, Jerome Ford. I'd all but forgotten about him last January. He was my RB69. He has moved up to RB33. It's the you're saying there's a chance range. Uh, I don't know who the starting running back for the Browns is going to be next year, but there's at least a possibility that Jerome Ford is seeing 55% of the touches again next year, right? I guess it's, there's a possibility. I wouldn't say that it's a guarantee. And I, I would imagine that the that the perception of Jerome Ford and Dynasty isn't very strong. Right. Because fantasy managers know that Nick Chubb is looming and that when he comes back, if he's – any semblance of his former self, 
the Browns will ride him and Jerome Ford will be the backup and he'll go back to, you know, being lucky to have five touches a game. And so the, the series of events that would have to take place for Jerome Ford to be back in the same role that he's in now, or even 80% of that role is, is it just feels a little slim. It just doesn't feel like the odds are, are very good there. Does that feel more slim to you than the odds that Nick Chubb returns to form at age 29? No, yeah, that? I think the odds are slimmer for Jerome Ford than that is for Nick Chubb returning to form. But that's based on my belief that Nick Chubb is just an absolute sensation at running back. And that even though he will come back from this injury and it's it's a tough one to come back from in general, um, he still might be able to give you one or two more decent years I think it'd be very interesting what the Browns do and how how much Nick Chubb is willing to adjust his contract because he has a $15.8 million cap hit next year and only $4 million of that is dead money. So this is definitely one of those situations where I would expect the Browns say, if you want to be on the team, you are going to take a pay cut. We're not yeah. going to pay you $15 million. Especially yeah, coming cool off the to do for a player that's that's been as relevant to the Browns as Chubb has been, who's coming off of a major injury. But, but we've we saw it happen to Alvin like Cook. Happened before. We saw it happen to Dalvin Cook. We saw it happen to Joe Mixon. We saw it happen to Aaron Jones. Um, it, it, that's just kind of what happens to running backs at this right, age. Right, but those guys weren't coming off of an injury like this either. Well, I think the injury makes it more likely. It, it almost justifies it. If he was 100% healthy and had just gone for 1,500 yards, it'd be harder to say, you've got to take a pay cut. Oh, yeah. They they probably wouldn't be able to do that. Right. So now they just... might be they, right. They might have to do that, and Chubb might be willing to give it to them. He, he might be. That will be the interesting thing. At wide receiver, I think you, this was your suggestion, and he's easily the, the biggest wide receiver riser. I think the only wide receiver who rose more than 20 spots in my dynasty ranking in the last calendar year... And that is Nico Collins, who was my wide receiver 64 back in January. Boy, was I wrong about him. Wide receiver 19 now. Do you feel I the way you talked about Kyron Williams and Rashad White with this little bit of hesitance over, well, let's see what their teams do this offseason. That's how I feel about Nico Collins. I really want to see, and maybe that's not fair to him as, as outstanding as he's been this year. But I really want to see if the Texans go add another wide receiver. Because I think if they do, it's more likely that it's that new guy and Tank Dell as the top two options than it is the Tank Dells fall into number three. Anything's possible there with, with the Texans offense and what they do. I think that it was it was the preseason film that got me really excited about Nico Collins. And it got me relatively excited about C.J. Stroud, too. And, and Stroud was my favorite quarterback during the draft lead-up. And so knowing that Nico Collins was going to have a meaningful role in the offense, I'm, I'm actually, and I know that you were a fan of his too. I'm surprised you had him as low as you did at 64. And now I'm surprised at how high you have him. <laughs> but the, the truth of the matter is that like his, his path could go either way because it, as much as you laid out the scenario of, okay, the Texans go and they find their their true number one wide receiver. There's also a path where the Texans, who don't have a first-round pick this year, by the way. They least, do have their own. They have Cleveland's first. first. They have yeah. Cleveland's. They don't have their own. Um, but they might spend all their draft capital trying to improve that offensive line, trying to improve that defensive pass rush again. 
I don't know if wide receiver is going to be a huge focal point for them. They might feel really good with what they have because Nico Collins has been so effective for them without necessarily being that alpha number one type of guy. Right. I think if you want to talk about, and we just rewind the clock 12 months, and we're talking about Nico Collins as a third round pick who has played two years in the NFL and his 17-game pace is for 657 yards and two touchdowns. He had done nothing. Um, ab- like His career high in receiving yards was 481 yards. It was just um, the C.J. Stroud, first off, hadn't been picked yet, but they got a major quarterback upgrade. Right. And now you're making me think, yeah, why, why is he so high? But the reason he's so high is because C.J. Stroud – looks like a top five dynasty quarterback and Nico Collins has like a 40% chance right now of being his number one wide receiver. Yeah, I get it. And, and I get the, the possibility. There's just so many possibilities and, and in dynasty when there are so many, well, he might be great or things might say the same, or he might get totally replaced. Like whenever I come across a player like that, I don't want to buy into them too much. So let's, let's That's talk about the guys. Maybe you've got Nico a little too high. Let's talk about the guys who are directly behind him. Michael Pittman. See, like that's somebody that I would rather have. Would okay. much rather have Michael Pittman. He, he, I think he's he's a he's a year older than Nico, mm-hmm. with more more quarterback questions for sure. Um, and sure, but he could also get free agency sooner than Nico, and could be a big time get for another team. Like I think Pittman is one of those guys. And when we talked about him with, with Jacob Gibbs two weeks ago, I think we talked about him last week as well. He's got a lot of Deontay Johnson to his profile. Yeah. He has shown the ability to earn a ton of targets, but we haven't really ever seen him produce. So just a couple more names and we'll see if you choose them all. Um, Chris Godwin or Nico Collins. I might take Nico there just because he's younger than Godwin. Josh Downs. I would take I I would take the chance on Nico over Downs. I'm not sure Downs going to be anything better than like, you know, 60 catches, 750 yards. Terry McLaurin. Like oh, I'd rather have McLaurin, and I know he's he, older, significantly. He'll be 28 older. going into next year. I, that's fine with me. I think that he has potential to be one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, especially once the Commanders change coaching staffs, get one of the young quarterbacks. Like they might end up with, they're almost certain to end up with one of Caleb right. Williams, Drake may at this point. And that, that could go one of, if it, if it goes the CJ Stroud direction, that will be awesome. And if it, goes Bryce, awesome. Young, if it goes the Bryce Young, Young direction, it would be terrible. Fair <laughs> it would point. Be terrible. All right. We've got one more wide receiver, Brandon Ayuk. And this is a guy who I definitely feel like I've been, I've shortchanged him. I've been, a little too low just on the overall talent of the guy. And yet the situation continues to prevent him from actually reaching the highs that his talent maybe suggests he should, or that the people who really analyze film say that he has Brandon. Ayuk with my wide receiver 33 last January, currently my wide receiver 18. You look at a lot of consensus rankings. He's a top 12 dynasty wide receiver viewed as like a a true alpha number one in fantasy. He's never actually been that in fantasy for a full season. He has done it on a week-to-week basis. He's done it efficiency-wise. He does it on film. Where are you at on Ayuk? He's a great number two wide receiver 
for Dynasty with a shot to eventually be a number one. Things just need to continue to progress in the right direction for him. You know, one of the things that stinks about him being in San Francisco is that there are a lot of other guys that eat up targets and it's not a high volume passing offense. They like to run the ball a lot there. I would say he's going to be 26 years old. He's going into free agency. I'm sure he'll be franchise tagged or he'll sign a long-term extension with the 49ers. Either way, he's got one more year in San Francisco, but he's just got this unbelievable ability to run a precise route. This usually either go routes, in-breaking routes, and then has the yak upside that every team covets. Right. And that type of upside is what makes a fantasy asset strong because if you're good at making plays after the catch, then you're good at having monster weeks that can just wreck your opponents. So I think you've got it ranked just about perfectly with Ayuk. I, I he's interesting to me in that Nico Collins discussion because I do have him ahead of Nico Collins. I do think he's he's much more talented, but if you asked me which one of these guys is more likely to be a top 12 wide receiver next year, I'd say Nico Collins. They scored almost the exact same number of fantasy points per game this season, both of them right at 16 fantasy points per game this season. Mm-hmm. It, it, so it's really, it is, it is one of those situation opportunity. And if Brandon Ayuk goes away from Kyle Shanahan, we always talk about like the efficiency that quarterbacks lose. Is it possible that Brandon Ayuk wouldn't be as efficient playing in a different system? Oh, yeah. That's absolutely on the table. And that type of uncertainty does make you a little bit nervous about Brandon Ayuk because, you know, on one hand, he could go to, you know, what's a team that needs a wide receiver? Kansas Um, City. Well, I would say (laughs) the alternative. Um, You know, let's, let's, Let's Denver. say the Patriots. He goes Denver. to New England, and the Patriots okay. end up with a quarterback, too. But he's not a so top 30 dynasty wide receiver. Yeah, like you're not going to feel as good about Brandon Ayuk in New England as you would be in San Francisco. But if Ayuk somehow finds his way to Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, you'd move him up. That would be amazing. So uh, certainly more possibilities for Ayuk, but I think most of them are very positive. I would absolutely look at him ahead of Nico Collins. And I think scoring matters, too. If it's half PPR or non-PPR that we're talking Ayuk clearly has an edge over Collins. One guy who you suggested who is behind both Ayuk and Collins for me, he actually has not moved in my dynasty rankings since January of last year, but he's moved a lot for, but I feel like you and I have debated George Pickens like four times this season. I'm not sure if you've ever been on the same side consistently back to back all over the place, but it was a strong finish to the season. He is still young and supremely talented. Where would you have Nico Collins? Do you think he's or or George Pickens? Is he is he a dynasty number two wide receiver or high end number three is just about right? I, I think if not high end number three wide receiver, a middle end number three wide receiver okay. because pointing back to uncertainty, these last two weeks he's been great. Look who his quarterback's been. It's Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph is the future at quarterback in Pittsburgh. I don't think so. No. And we know that there have been games earlier this year where Pickens has had a picket, and it's been like one or two huge plays, period, in a game that makes George Pickens great. I love the talent, and I love the potential that he has, and we started to see a lot more of that potential this year. But we also know what the downfall is. Like He seems to be a little bit of a hothead, and the coaching staff has to work with him on that. And can he mature a little bit? Can his game mature a little bit? Because his route running has been uh, a question that we've had in in fantasy circles now for two seasons. 
there's plenty of uncertainty there. And that's why, as much as I love what he could be, Heath, I'm not sure if we can put him anywhere near where we're talking Nico Collins, Brandon Ayuk, et cetera. Yeah, he's he's definitely behind those guys. I've got Ayuk at 18, Nico at 24, Pickens at 26. So just just a little bit behind them. Man, I, I you know what I want is Russell Wilson throwing YOLO balls to George Pickens next year. That would be fantastic. I'd be all the way in on George Pickens. Let's take a short break and then we'll get to some tight end risers, finish up with some deep waiver stashes. Okay, Dave. So tight end riser, the most obvious one, Trey McBride, was tight end 11, is my tight end two now for dynasty purposes. Would you make any argument with that? Is there anybody other than Sam Laporta you'd definitely rather have than Trey McBride in a dynasty league? Mm, Yeah, I think I might. And this is another player that seems to fall into the what's the scoring system Mm -hmm. conversation because I'm not sure he can end up being a a monster tight end in non-PPR. I think obviously half PPR he's in between. And in full PPR, I think he's great. But I, I do see the Cardinals as a team that tries to really improve their receiving core. I was penciling Marvin Harrison Jr. in for Arizona until this past week when they won and beat Philadelphia. And now I'm not sure if they've got to pick high enough to get Marvin Harrison Jr. on their team. And so if, if it's somebody else like Neighbors from LSU or you know another receiver in the draft, maybe even two receivers they go and get, I think that they're going to try and improve that receiving core and make it stronger. That being said, Kyler Murray, the last few years, he's leaned on his tight end. It's been two different offenses when he's found this tight end to, to go to. And so I think that there's going to be a, ro- a role for McBride in this offense, but I don't know if it's going to be to the point where he's worthy of being the number two tight end and even in full I, PPR. Time. I just, I think you have to remember also, like this was one of the most productive college tight ends in the history of the NCAA. There's no question. He's Colorado very state and he's huge too. Huge makes outstanding catches. And his offensive coordinator is the same one came from Cleveland. That same system that's had a 25, 26% target share for as long as Stefanski has been there. Yep. So I, 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 but but yeah, there's there's other guys that you could. I think I think the the top five at tight end and Travis Kelsey's not in it for me. Very debatable. One more, not a top five tight end, borderline top twelve. Jake Ferguson was tight end forty three for me, proving once again that just about anybody can go play to tight end for the Dallas Cowboys and be a top twelve tight end. I don't know though. Like I've got him at fourteen now. I don't know that that makes you really feel better like how many more years until they just find somebody else to do what jake ferguson is doing uh it might be zero because they've got a rookie tight end named luke schoonmaker who could end up being the guy that replaces him as soon as 2024 so uh, i'd be a little concerned with ferguson he did a great job this year certainly was a monster in the red zone for most of the season but this is also a dallas cowboys offense that has cd lamb clearly he's going to be their alpha Right, And they could go and find another receiver to improve on Brandon Cooks. Gallup is not going to pan out. Jalen Tolbert's not the answer there unless we're talking about, you know, the occasional downfield play and what he does as a run blocker. I'm I'm not sure that Ferguson is ranked low enough. Definitely a guy that if you could get a 2024 second for him, you'd make the deal? Heartbeat. What about a third? 
to me, thirds are pretty negligible. If if I'm on, if don't don't tell Pukunakua and Tank Dell that. I I hear you. I hear you, and I would certainly (laughs) fell apart with that. I think it would come down to like how the draft was going. If if there's a player that you love that's in round three, and you can try and turn Ferguson into that player, then you do it. Let's go through some. Yeah, well, I guess that would mean that round three is fine. Quick, quick, deep waiver stashes. Again, these are guys you might add here at the end of the year because you're dropping the old running back handcuff that you had on your team or you're dropping some backup tight end that you don't want to carry anymore. And you need to add these guys with the idea that, first off, you've got to have a roster spot. They're not must-add players. Second off, you might be okay dropping them again in three months if something positive doesn't happen for them in the offseason. But this is like we've seen... Kyron Williams and was not very highly valued player this point a year ago. So like these types of guys can be really important. Hendon Hooker, the only quarterback that I saw at a lower than 10% roster rate, he's rostered in 2% of dynasty leagues. He needs to be on a roster, right, Dave? A hundred percent. I don't think it's a, I, I think Jared Goff is coming back to be the starter in Detroit. There was some talk mm-hmm. about before the season started, like if Goff falls apart, could they, could they turn to Hooker? And I don't think that's going to happen. But maybe Hooker is two years away. The one problem with that is that Hendon Hooker was already an older prospect when he was drafted right. by the Lions. If if he doesn't do anything, if he doesn't get a chance next year, then we're looking at a 27-year-old first-time starter in the Detroit offense in 2025. And who knows who the offensive coordinator will be at that point. Who knows what that whole offense will look like at that point. So I, I love the idea of stashing Hendon Hooker, but I don't know if I love the idea of saying, all right, Eventually, he's going to be my dynasty QB one. So we got two running backs here, and they're both guys that I would like to specifically have on my roster during the real NFL playoffs because an injury or two, and both of these teams have already got injuries at running back. Jordan Mason, 9% rostered. Christopher Brooks of the Miami Dolphins, 2% rostered. He was actually active again this past week. He had, I think, 60 yards and a touchdown against the Broncos earlier this season. That we've seen Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson and Devon Achan all be good in this offense. I'd like to have, like, it wouldn't be that outlandish for, oh no, Raheem Mostert's not going to make it back. I lost Heath. I don't know if it's on my end or not. Yeah, we lost Heath. Okay. Sorry about that, everybody. So I, I agree with what Heath was saying about both Mason and Brooks. And Brooks was stashed on my dynasty roster for a while. I would be I would be nervous about both of those running backs losing their spot to somebody new coming in, both in San Francisco and in Miami. But you're maybe the takeaway is look at the teams that have been good at running the football and try and get pieces of those backfields to carry through the offseason. So from that sort of outlook, it makes perfect sense for Jordan Mason to be on a bench. Same thing with Christopher Brooks. At wide receiver, I actually have Heath's list in front of me. He shared his notes before the show. Cedric Tillman with the Browns, Trey Palmer of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Charlie Jones of the Bengals, and then one more, Jake Bobo of the Seahawks. The one that I like the most is Bobo. I think that he's not necessarily a burner, but a big body type of wide receiver, a good route runner. We saw him make plays earlier this year when the Seahawks did not have their full complement of wide receivers. I just wonder what's his upside going to be because if they move on from Tyler Lockett this year, then the wide receiver group is going to be JSN and DK Metcalf, and then Bobo would be the third guy. You'd almost need to have an injury to either JSN or DK Metcalf for Bobo to be great, but I am carrying him 
on my dynasty team. I do like the talent, and he's out there in 98% of leagues. Trey Palmer has some great speed. Let me throw another name in there, Trey Tucker, as a wide receiver in Las Vegas. So both the Trey's. Rookie wide receivers that should be stashed. They've got upside. They play on teams that have a lot of veteran wide receivers. So I think that there's definitely some potential for those guys to step into larger roles. Same thing for Cedric Tillman. And Tillman definitely has some upside. He was Hendon Hooker's, one of Hendon Hooker's best receivers at Tennessee. Jalen Hyatt obviously being the other one. You're not going to find Jalen Hyatt on the waiver wire. At least you shouldn't in Dynasty. But said Tillman should be out there. He's not a bad one. As for Charlie Jones... I wonder if he's more of a special teams contributor and maybe it's Andre Yoshivas. Uh, last name sounds like Yoshivas, but it starts with an I and an O. I wonder if he ends up being a wide receiver that ends up getting a better opportunity in Cincinnati. If the team loses T Higgins, if the team moves on from Tyler Boyd, there should be some significant turnover in that Bengals offense this offseason. By the way, two more tight ends. We talked about one of them, Luke Schoonmaker in Dallas. That's the reason why I'm a little bit nervous about Jake Ferguson being a big-time player. And then Noah Gray in Kansas, in Kansas City. If Travis Kelsey retires and moves on to being you know, a professional boyfriend for Taylor Swift, then Noah Gray would be the next guy up at tight end. I love that idea. That is a great call by Heath Cummings that Noah Gray is a good tight end stash. I'm going to give you one more that's not on Heath's list. Cole Turner with the Washington Commanders. And that's on the off chance that the Commanders don't add another tight end during the offseason. Turner is young, decent player, actually looked better in the pros uh, than I thought he'd be when he had some minimal playing time earlier in the year and in the preseason. But that's a tight end that I have stashed. So just going over the deep waiver stash list one more time, quarterback is Hendon Hooker, running backs Jordan Mason and Christopher Brooks, Wide receivers, Jake Bobo, Cedric Tillman, Trey Palmer, Charlie Jones, tight end, Noah Gray, Luke Schoonmaker, and then Cole Turner also on that list. I hope that this was helpful. I am so excited to see where the dynasty offseason takes all of us as we try and make our teams better and stronger for 2024. I know that Heath is the perfect Sherpa to lead that for everybody. His dynasty trade chart will be updated all offseason long. And of course, we'll be here with the FFT Dynasty podcast, answering your questions, helping you make decisions, and hopefully you don't make a trade like I made that ends up costing you your long-term view and your window for FFT or for Fantasy Dynasty. The name of the show is FFT Dynasty. For Cummings, I'm Dave Richard. Thank you for watching.